Hey, thanks for tuning into our podcast today. My name is Derek Puckett. I'm the lead pastor at Renewal Church of Chicago. If you want to know more information about us, you can head to our website at RenewalChicago.com. I pray today that this message is a blessing and an encouragement to your soul. John chapter 3, we have been walking through or just started our Committed series. Everyone say Committed. Uh, We started a series called Committed as we start this new year because I think there's so much going on in society. There's a lot of different, uh, a lot of information out there and uh, a lot of different things on social media and news floating around and there's so much to take in and there's so much to be committed to and so much you can do in the new year. And I want us to really be committed to the right things. Amen. I want us to be committed to the right things, and we're not going through this in depth. There's so many things in the gospel that we can commit to, but there's four areas that we want to commit to as a church, as prayer, the gospel, generosity, and community. And today, I'm going to preach about the gospel. Uh, We're going to talk about what it means to be committed to the gospel. John chapter 3, if you got it, go ahead and stand to your feet with me. We're going to read one verse, chapter 3, verse 16. I love this verse. I've talked about it before. Today, I'm going to talk about it a bit differently, but John chapter 3, verse uh, 16, if you got it, go ahead and say, got it. Chapter 3, verse 16, it says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. The very word of God. Amen. Today, again, I want to preach on committed to the gospel. Everyone say that. Committed to the gospel. Committed to the gospel. Let's pray with one another. Father, thank you so much for this morning. You are truly good and gracious, God. I do ask as I speak this morning that you would simply hide me behind the cross, decrease me so that you increase. Father, we need to hear a word from you on this morning. So, God, we ask for you to speak. Have your way. And it's in the mighty and matchless name of Jesus that we all said together, amen, amen. Go ahead and take a seat. Committed to the gospel. Friends, let me ask you, uh, by, by show of hands, how many of you feel a little anxiety within your soul this morning? Be honest. I'm there with you. How many of you feel a, a, a sense of depression? Maybe today over the last year at some point, you, you've been there. It's okay to be honest. I'm there with you. Better yet, I, I want to ask this in a sense because I'm not just talking about the pandemic. Whether you're a believer or not, there, there, there's... So many things floating around in society, so much news, and when you look at the state of our world, what's accepted and what's not, or what is accepted as opposed to what you believe, does it, does it give you a, some angst inside? You, you feel that? And some of you may not know what I'm talking about. Let me, let me give you an example. In our world today, everybody and their mama, grandma, auntie, cousin, distant relative can be an expert on anything. 
All you got to do is has a, have a YouTube page, an Instagram account, Facebook something, and a phone, and all of a sudden, if you say something with some type of confidence, you are an expert on what you are talking about. I mean, some, some of y'all still looking at me like you don't believe me. I mean, all, go ahead. If you want to right now, Google what people think about masks. Google what they think about vaccines or or racism, or for my, my first-time moms, how to sleep train a baby, or, or dating. You know, you're going to find thousands of different opinions that have somehow now become fact in this pandemic because everybody can get online and say, well, I know something about this. You ain't got no baby, but you're talking about sleep training. You, you out of shape, but you're talking about getting back in shape. And, like You're an expert because you got some confidence in this thing. And now, hear me, the thing that rises within your spirit or in your heart is like, wait up. If, if everybody is an expert on everything, then what in the world should I truly believe? Or should I water down what I really believe in order to fit in the culture? And see, what happens for the Christian is that it puts you in this position of feeling almost like an exile within culture or the world. Because what you believe may be in direct opposition to what popular culture believes. And you begin to feel this this cognitive dissonance, if you may, or this tension of an exile where because others around you or online say one thing, it causes you to start asking yourself, am I crazy for what I believe? Am I crazy to to live the way that I live? Is it me? For instance, uh, and I may step on some toes with this one, so I want y'all to buckle up and ride with me, but today, uh, I'll be honest, we live in an over-sexualized culture. Anybody agree with that? Uh, I mean, things are accepted and approved of that just 10 years ago you wouldn't you wouldn't think twice about it being approved. I mean, for instance, I, I'm be honest, uh, men and women, they're, they're, they're expected now uh, to look at porn as a norm. It's normal. When, in reality, when you do a little studying on it, scientifically, it, it, it negatively uh, affects your body sexually, and it can be more addictive than most drugs. Or, or let's take this a bit f- further, premarital sex. It's a norm today. It, it's, it's normal. We, we're, we're expected to do that. Pastor D, why, why can't I try to shoe on before I buy that thing? I mean, I, why can't we move in together? I mean, we should just move in together. It's practical. We could save some money. She's fine. I promise I won't sleep with her. Yeah, right. It's what we should do. Let me just take this step before we actually lock this thing in. But when you flip open the Bible, Hebrews chapter 13 and 1 Thessalonians 4 tells us that the marriage bed should be undefiled, which means that no sex before marriage. But it's norm and acceptable. You actually look that kind of weird if you don't. 
And hear me, I'm not trying to make anybody feel bad this morning. That's not my goal. Hear me, I've been there before. There's grace and there's repentance in this thing where you can turn away from where you are and you can turn to God and he forgives. He gives grace. He still loves you the same. But, But what I'm saying, hear me, do not miss this, is that we're living in a space where it may not be a physical war with your fists, but there is a war going on in the Christian's mind and in their heart. We got to either stand firm on the truth of God's word. We have to make this decision. We're going to stand firm on the word and what it says, or we're going to start to deconstruct it and devalue it and deform it a bit and then reshape it to fit culture. Which, hear me, the problem is this causes mass anxiety, mass depression, and confusion. But here's the thing, this isn't anything new. I mean, Jesus was killed because he didn't fit into the religious pharisaical way of the day. Even if you follow me, they won't like you because they, they didn't like me. So in essence, hear me, believer, I need you to hear me. Let me free you up. Here's the reality. If you're trying to fit in culture, but you're really living like Jesus, you will never fit into culture because Jesus never fit in the culture. They never liked him. They hung him on a cross. So in essence, to be a believer in our world today means this, that you will feel a sense of estrangement. You will feel estranged in the culture, and that's okay because Jesus told us that the world would not like us and that you could take heart because he already overcame the world. But my friend, hear me. Here's what I want you to hear. Don't be naive. There is a battle that the believer faces. We don't like this, but there is a real battle that the believer faces to stand firm and make this decision that I'm going to stand firm on the word of God in the midst of lies. It's a choice. And again, don't hear me. I don't want you to hear me wrong. I, I I'm not telling anyone in here to be the new John the Baptist and go get your sign and picket sign and and stand on the corner of Damon and Roosevelt talking about if y'all don't repent today, you're going to hell. That's not what I'm telling you to do. What I'm saying, hence the series, is that we have to be committed to the right things. Being a Christian, hear me, does not... It does not mean fit in the culture. It doesn't mean water down your beliefs to appease others. In fact, being a Christian in many ways today is countercultural and is more and more not acceptable in our culture. And y'all don't believe me. I'm throwing somebody off because you're like, this is a Christian nation. Hear me. Hear me. Barner Research did some uh, research on this, and they said these, this, the, that 49% of millennials... And 65% of Americans still identify as Christian. Now, notice I said identify. So they they went a little further in their research, and they found out that 10% of young adults are actually resilient, meaning living for Jesus. 10%. 
And you can probably lower that number or that percentage a little bit more in Chicago, in a city like this, because there's so many things that we're having to face. It's on level 10 as compared to some rural areas around the United States. Translation, hear me, is that people really don't believe all of the Bible. They're not living as true Christians. This is why people don't give. Like, wait a second, you want me to tithe? That's some Old Testament stuff. They still do that? No, the church is cool. The church has been here for years. They don't need me. Oh, oh, they want me to serve? Oh, the church is good. Look, they got up there and they're preaching. They got worship. They don't need me to serve. I'm going to just take care of me, and I'm going to come in there and get my blessing, and I'm going to keep, up, I'm gonna keep it moving. That, that's ancient. They, 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 don't, they don't need me. And hear me, hear me, hear me, hear me. Don't hear me wrong. You need to take care of yourself. You should do for you and make sure you're okay. But in a biblical perspective, hear me, self-care is not just about you. Jesus says, love your father, love God the father with all your heart, mind, soul, and your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. So don't miss this. When you're loving yourself, it's just so you can love your neighbor better. It ain't just about you. It's so you can be a poured out drink offering for Jesus and bless those around you. But, but see what happens is we take the good out of the Bible and then we take all that other stuff and we throw it away. We're like, I like that part of it, but I'm going to throw that away. And what ends up happening is we throw Jesus away. Like, like oh, 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 you want me to love my neighbor? Jesus, I heard the part about love myself, but I, I don't know about my neighbor. They don't look like me. I, they, don't, they don't talk like me. I, I don't like that person. I'm good. I'm going to love me. I, 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 Jesus, I, I like sex, but mm, this whole marital covenant, I ain't ready for that. So I, I'm going to act married, but I'm not going to be married. Friends, this is why it's, again, important to stay committed to the right things. Family, I don't want us, hear me, to be a church that's just committed to parts of the Bible. But I want us to be a church to where the people of renewal reek of the goodness of Jesus. To where when folks come in contact with you, when you're outside of these doors, they see you and they say, there's something different about him or her. And I want to know more, which causes them to start asking questions. And as they ask questions, they come in contact with the one and only Savior and King Jesus. That's my desire and prayer for our church. So last week, Pastor Steve, he, he, he spoke on fasting and praying And today we're going to talk about the gospel, if you haven't caught that by now. Here's why. The gospel, what Jesus has done, is the only solution, and I've said this before, it's the only solution to bring true renewal to the city of Chicago and to us individually. Our our city has so many wonderful things to offer. We have schools. We have an amazing skyline. We have parks. We have industry. Our history is one of a kind, but... On the other hand, our our city is broken in many ways. We have one of the highest homelessness populations in America. We have one of the highest crime and murder rates in America. We have division across socioeconomic and uh, political and, and racial lines all throughout the city. Fatherless homes, you name it, the list could go on and on and on. What I'm trying to bring to your attention is that we have a lot of good in our city, 
But we also have a lot of bad, which makes our city broken. And there's a need for believers to really stand firm and stay committed to the gospel. The gospel, what Jesus has done on our behalf through his death, burial, and resurrection, it has to be central to all that we do. God loved, God gave his son, we believe and we live forever, but it's not enough to just know this truth and believe in it. This truth has direct implications on how we live today. So today what I want to do is I want to take a very, very familiar passage of Scripture uh, to many of us, a passage that, that has, has been familiar. It, it says, states the gospel explicitly clear, but, but in reality it's been a, a passage that's been thrown around very flippantly in society, maybe even tatted on some of your bodies right now. And I have to ask you the question as we're walking through this, I want you to ponder this because this is my main idea. Do I really know or do I really understand what Jesus is talking about in John 3.16? Better yet, let me ask this. Am I truly committed to the implications that this verse has on my life? Am I committed to the gospel? So today I want to unpack this verse and my hope is that we go away knowing the gospel more clearly, simply stated that God loved, God gave, we believe, and we live forever. Those are points I want to walk through, but again, the question I need you and want you to ponder, truly committed to the gospel. Am I truly committed to the gospel? Now, the immediate context around our sermon or passage today it comes on the heels of an interaction that Jesus has with my man Nicodemus. I, I like to call Nicodemus Nick at night and, uh, because he comes to Jesus at night. Some of y'all will catch that later, and some of y'all are too young to know about Nick at night. But Nick at night, he comes to him at night. We preached on this a couple weeks ago. If you missed it, go back and listen to it. But what Jesus is doing with Nicodemus here is he's welcoming his reasoning mind. Nicodemus is a Pharisee and has all these questions, and he comes to him at night for a couple different reasons. Number one, he doesn't want people to see him as a Pharisee associating himself with Jesus. They didn't like Jesus. And number two, he comes to Jesus at night as a sign of his, his state of spirituality. He, he is in a, a state of spirituality darkness right now as he comes to Jesus. And you see this because of the questions he starts to ask Jesus. Questions like, how do you do the things you do, Jesus? The, the things you do, they have to be from God. How, how does a man, how, do, how am I born again? Do I have to go in my mother's womb? How does that work? Nicodemus, hear me, doesn't understand spiritual things. But the problem here is that he's a Pharisee. He's a ruler of the, law, of the people. He's a teacher of the law. He's a member of the Jewish government. The, the Sanhedrin. He's supposed to know these things. People come to him on a day-to-day -day basis asking questions, and he's supposed to answer these questions by, by the word of God. But see, his position in society is what really is part of the problem. I just talked about this, but what ends up happening as Pharisees, what they did is they, they took parts of the word of God, the good parts, reshaped it, they twisted that thing to fit what they wanted it to be, and now because of that, he can't see truth when it's staring him in the face, namely Jesus sitting right in front of him. So if you notice, 
In this passage, if you read the context, Jesus starts reasoning with them. He, he's trying to get them to understand. But I, what I love about Jesus, and y'all need to take this home, he does not ever lose an inkling of truth. He never starts twisting who he is to try to get across to somebody else. He doesn't lose who he is, and somebody needs to take that home with him. You're trying to witness to somebody. You're trying to be something around somebody. You're a Christian. You're a believer, but you're starting to weigh the li- waver between the lines and gray areas. And like, I don't know if I believe this, or maybe I should be over here to get them to know Jesus. No, Jesus never loses who he is to get across to Nicodemus. And see, what ends up happening is that we're left with, not knowing whether or not Nicodemus truly believes, at least at this point. And Jesus caps it off with this verse we're looking at today. Basically, he tells them, you got to believe in the one that God has sent Nicodemus and allow me to inform your life. Uh, John 3.16, Jesus says, for God so loved the world. Everyone say loved. He so loved the world. What Jesus is saying is that the gospel of Jesus Christ and salvation is motivated by the love of God. It's the love that God has for his children that motivates his action on our behalf. He gives because he loves first. Ephesians 2, 4 through 5 says, But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which which he's loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ by grace You have been saved. See, it's God's love for us that motivates his action, and his love is unconditional. Uh, This uh, this word love here, the verb in the Greek is pronounced agapao. Agapao is where we get our word agape. This is this unconditional love. Love no matter the cost. You love no matter what's happening. I may need a, another mic. Salvation, what he's really trying to get across to us, is based off of God's unconditional love. It's not based off of our doing. It's not based off of what we do or what we bring to the table, how I look, my race. It, it's not based off of that. It's solely based off of God's love for us. And I don't want you to miss this, so I want you to think of it this way. Good parents, emphasis on good, good parents, they'll do anything for their kids. They, they want to see their kids, they want to see them flourish, so good parents will do a lot of things out of the normal sometimes for their kids. Good parents, because they want to see them do well, whether they're bad or good at this point, and it's the same thing for Jesus, God, right? He's like, I love my children, regardless of them being broken and wayward, I still love them, and he goes out of his way in his love. Now, the second thing about this love that you have to notice is that it says, for God so loved the world. Now, this is significant because up to this point, God was the God of the Israelites. So so Nicodemus or anyone at the time when they heard him say that he's the God of the world, he loves the world, here, here in this passage, he's saying that something different that they've never heard before. So when he says this, he's saying, look, I I, I love the world. Now, this is new for the people here. They would have had a problem with Jesus saying that he loves the world because, wait a second, you're the God of the Israelites. You you love us, not everybody else. You're for us. But in one statement, Jesus makes God's grace available to the world. Now, this is key because salvation 
is not specific to a certain group of people. Don't miss that. Regardless of their works, regardless of your, the color of your skin, it's not based off of any of that. Salvation is based off of his unconditional love. So instead, salvation, hear me, is to all mankind. It says in the passage, whosoever shall believe, which means the Jew, the Gentile, the black, the white, the Hispanic, you go down the line, the Asian, you fill in the blank. It's for all, whoever believes. Now, I'm going to say something to you that may step on some of your toes because this is very important. This is very important to understand, especially with the racial climate and the history of America. God intentionally chose to love the world, which is why, hear me, most of us in here as Christians are here because if you look around this room, the majority of, if, if not all of us, we're not Israelites. But we're saved. Because God saw the, the line in front of him or this racial line where he said his people were the Israelites. But what he does is he chooses to cross that line for our good and love us. Send his son to die for us. So hear me, hear me, hear me, hear me. The reality is, is that you can't be a Christian saying you love God, but then you don't love the person that does not look like you. Y'all missing this. If God loves you and it's not based off the color of your skin or your ethnicity, then hear me. You can't be a white supremacist talking about you a Christian. You can't be black and hate white people. Because when you're doing that or that's you and that's you living in that space, you're slapping God in the face. Saying that his love wasn't enough for you. So that you're going to live out of this love in a different way. And now you're not going to love your neighbor when he's chosen to love you when you were his enemy. Let alone not the same racial group of the people that he chose. The passage says God so loved the world. He crossed the line to save us. So we see God intentionally choosing to love the world. But God not only loved, he gave he gave his only son, which is the second part of uh, this verse in verse 16. For God so loved the world that he gave. Say gave with me. He gave his only son. Now, this is not a, a superficial love. See, true love gives. Societal love takes. Uh, true unconditional love gives God's love is the opposite of the world's the world says I'll love you if you love me back grace but God's love he says I'm gonna love you regardless of if you love me you see the world says I'll do for you if you do for me God says I'll do for you regardless of you doing for me God's ways are not the same as the world's, he gives his only son while we were still dead in our trespasses, meaning we were enemies of God. He still gives his son to die for us. Uh, look at this verse with me, Romans 
says, for while we were still weak at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person, one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. God's love, hear me family, is unimaginable with our finite minds. It's hard to comprehend because it's not a do for me, Dan, and and I'll do for you. It's I'm going to do for you regardless of you. So let me ask you. Could you die for someone who doesn't love you? Better yet, could you give up your only child for them? I'm going to answer it for you. No. See, the thing that, 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 that blows my mind about the love of God is how much he gave up. What I mean is that God doesn't just give up his son, but in reality, he gives up himself. Jesus is the second person of the Trinity. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit. Jesus was 100% God and 100% man all at the same time. He was man, meaning he suffered like we do. He grew like we do. He ate like we do. He felt like we do. But he was also God, meaning that he had to basically put his power to the side in order to live the way we live and as well as die the death that we deserved. And you may be sitting there saying, well, Pastor D, how do, how do you know that's true? How, how, do you know, how do you know that Jesus was God? Well, one, I believe the Bible from front to back, all of this is true. And in the Bible, it says in John chapter 1, one, it says that in the beginning was God and the word was with God and the word was God. In the beginning was the word, the word was with God and the word was God. You flip down, you keep on reading John chapter 1 verse 14. It says the word became flesh and he dwelt among us and we have seen his glory. Glory as the only son from the father full of grace and truth. Jesus was God and man all at the same time which is this fancy word called the hypostatic union. I'm taking y'all to seminary. Jesus is born of the spirit of God, birthed by the virgin Mary, God in the flesh, Jesus Christ. But as mind boggling, hear me, as it is to know that Jesus was 100 percent man and 100 percent God. It's even more mind boggling that God would give up his son, but in reality, give up himself for people who did not love him. You with me? You follow me? I mean, friends, the, the love of God is, is truly unimaginable. And I'm going to be honest, I, I was trying to relate to this a bit. And I was thinking about things in my own life and like, how, how, do, I, how do I relate to this? What's, what, what's happened to me recently where I could, like, uh, man, that, 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 that's me loving like God loves. And just this week, this past week, it was the middle of the night and the alarm went off in the house. 
It's like two something in the morning. The alarm goes off in the house. And y'all, my wife and I, we jump out of bed and we're ready to go. Izzy's knocking on the door like, Daddy, the alarm's going off. And I'm, I'm getting suited and booted, y'all. I'm getting ready. I, I'm getting ready. I, the Gary is about to come out of me. It's about to go down. It's going to be me or him. Somebody is about to take all of this business right now. It's about to happen up in this house because I'm going, I'm ready to die if I have to for those that I I love. I'm going to give it all up for them because I love them. And so I get to going through the house and I'm checking in closets and I don't have my contacts in. I can't see, but I'm about to whoop somebody. I'm, I'm going through the house, going up under covers and all of these things. And, I, and I'm just looking around trying to figure this out, doing my investigation. And then all my kids wake up and I'm starting to ask them, you know, did you see anything? Did you hear anything? Do you know anything? And I go one by one, and then I get to little DJ. And I'm like, DJ, it said that the sliding door on the second level was open. Did you touch the door? No. I'm going to ask you one more time. Did you touch the door? And he smiled. I said, you touch the door, DJ? Show me what you did. He goes over to the door, and he, he grabs the door, and he pulls on it. And I said, okay, the alarm went off. What did you do when the alarm went off? He said, I ran. I said, you ran? He said, you want to see? I said, yeah, I want to see how fast you ran. He's like, I ran really fast, Daddy. You ready to watch this? Watch this, watch this. This little joker is laughing like I'm playing a game with him, you know? And he takes off dodging things like he's in a football game and all this stuff stuff is falling like my water just fell off the stage he's he's running all over the place and then he jumps in his bed and he pulls the cover up like I was fast wasn't I daddy see don't miss what I was saying though in that moment I was ready to give it all up for my family people that I loved and I thought about it and I said, man, that's the closest I'm probably at this point ever getting to really dying for somebody that I truly love. But when I look at the passage, Jesus literally died on a cross for people at the time that did not love him. Family, that love is truly unimaginable. It's incomprehensible. He has loved us despite our sinfulness and wrongdoings. It, it, it's in his love we place our hope and our belief. It's out of God's love for us and giving out of that love that elicits our response and belief, which brings us to our next point. Next part of the verse, verse 16, it says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him. See, we believe because he loved and he gave. Hear me, we don't believe because we choose to believe. We believe because of God's unfathomable, unconditional love that caused him to give of himself and die for an undeserving people. 
There was no way back to God because of our sin. When Adam and Eve ate from that fruit in the garden, there was separation or broken fellowship between God, meaning between God and man, meaning that there was a gap between us. And the only one that can bridge that gap was Jesus when he died on the cross. His death bridges the gap and makes a way back to God through our belief in him. His death, hear me, was the only way back to God because someone had to pay the price for our sins. Romans 6.23 says, for the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Hear me, Christ being the sinless lamb of God was the perfect substitute for our sins because none of us, at least not me, you may think this of yourself, but none of us were sinless. None of us are holy, which meant that there was a sinless lamb. There was a sinless sacrifice that was needed. We all fall short, according to Romans 3.23, that says, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. It is through Jesus's death on the cross that we are now reconciled through God to God through our belief. Again, there was a gap between us and God. His death satisfies the wages of sin but his death crosses and covers that gap without his work on the cross hear me there's no redemption without no his resurrection there's no gospel which essentially means that our faith is meaningless it's solely based off of his work and his work alone I love what it says when the Apostle Paul writes in Ephesians verse two, I mean, chapter two, verses eight through nine. He says, for by grace, you have been saved through faith. And this I love that word. This it's not of your own doing. His work is it's not of your own doing. Your salvation is not of your own doing. It is a gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. Friends, the amazing truth about Jesus dying for us is that God didn't leave anything up to us. It says, by grace you have been saved. Grace is an undeserved gift. We were dead in our trespasses, spiritually dead and separated from God, destined for hell, but God, who is rich in mercy, sent his son to die for us. See, the point in all of this, and don't miss this, is that the work of salvation has nothing to do with us, and instead, it's based off of God's love for us and his sovereignty we don't choose him he chooses us he accepts us as is he loves us as is and he saves us as is friends it's the love of God and his work on our behalf that elicits our response. I mean, think about it. A, a holy God who doesn't have to do anything gives up everything so that you and I can be saved. He gives his son's life so that we can have life everlasting, which brings us to our last point for today. And the last part of the verse, it says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. We that believe will live forever. Forever. I love this. It means that 
Those that believe not only have the joy of knowing the good in Jesus now and his death, burial, and resurrection and how he defeated Satan's sin and death, but one day we'll be with God forever and ever in glory in his presence. See, this is the hope that we have in Christ, that one day we'll be with him in heaven, free from all the mess that circulates around us. That means no more having to stand up for what you believe in. No more pain, no more sadness, no more COVID-19, no political corruption, none of that mess. No more feeling like you're a fish out of water in the midst of culture. But we'll be one with God and we'll be within in his presence forever and ever for all eternity. We don't place our hope in this world because it and everything will perish. But if we believe one day we will be with God in heaven. You see, the gospel message is that God loved, God gave, and because of his work, we believe, and then he tops it off with giving us eternity with him. You see, this truth has direct implications on everything we do in life. When you and I truly understand what Jesus has done on our behalf, the fact that Jesus has died for us, then I don't live for myself anymore. I don't just do for me anymore. I, I, I don't love just so I can be loved back. I don't, I don't work so I can just climb the parenthetical ladder of success at my job. It's, it's not about me anymore. Instead, I see everything that I have in my life as a gift that has been given to me. So therefore, I go out and I live my life in a way that's pleasing to the one that gave it to me, who is God. See, the gospel directly impacts every part of our life. So I have to ask the same question I began with. Are you truly committed to the gospel? Are you truly committed? I'm getting no amens in here, so let's go home on this. Because I don't want y'all to miss this. It was in July of 1981, the, the union of Prince Charles and Lady Diana. It, it was said to be the wedding of the century, and that indeed it was at the time. Some 750 million people watched this wedding all across the world, and you could find another 600,000 or so just lining the streets of London just to peer in. They didn't meet them, just to peer in and take part in this ceremony, a beautiful day. It was, and, and some of us have no idea what I'm talking about, but you've caught up on the new Netflix series, The Crown, and you're, you're, you're watching it and you're Googling all this stuff, and if you followed it close enough, then you know, then just a short 11 years later, after their marital union, they filed for separation. Then four years later after that, in 1996, they were divorced. And it was revealed that they had extramarital affairs. And, and see, what happened is that they walk into this marriage, this covenant of marriage. They agree upon this, but yet they still live as if they're single. They committed to this, or at least they said they did, but yet they live another way. Y'all follow me with this. See, the wedding day, this amazing event as amazing as it was, it did not change their day-to-day. -day. A great event, wonderful words 
spoken, a covenant in which they agreed and the two came together, but no change. Friends, hear me. My fear this morning is that we're living in a day where this is true of many people that call themselves Christian. We claim it, but we don't live it. And my friend, I want to draw you in close. I want you to hear me when I say this. In a day like today where everything around you is challenging the truth of Jesus Christ, drink deeply from the word of God. Drink deeply from the word of God and his truth. Don't try to twist this thing to fit in the culture or how you feel. Don't claim it and not be it, but stand firm on the word of God and the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ and watch how he informs your life. Watch how he shapes and forms you to what he wants you to be. Don't don't listen to the world where it tells you everything around you tells you you can find your hope, joy, satisfaction, peace, everything you want in this world outside of Jesus. Y'all hear me? That's a lie. If you haven't noticed through this pandemic, everything in this world changes day to day. Our feelings go up and down all around. You change, I change, but the one person who has never changed from the, from the beginning of time is God and his word. Stand firm and believe and trust. Preach the gospel to yourself daily. So when that day comes where you lose your job, you can preach the gospel to yourself and say, God lost me. God loves me and he gave of his son. When your finances get low, God loves me. God loves me and he gave up his son for me. When hardship hits and losses in your family start to occur, God loves me. God loves me and he gave up his son for me. When you start doubting, you start wavering your faith, hear that voice I love you I love you I gave up my son for you family when people start to challenge your faith or maybe it's just culture society and the walls feel like they're closing in on you remember the truth of the gospel that God loved you God gave up his son for you Because of that, we believe and we live forever. Stand firm on the truth of Jesus Christ and the gospel. Believe it. Be committed to it. And watch him do something amazing in your life. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for this morning. You are truly a good God. We thank you for your goodness. We thank you for loving us in a way that you can only do so. God, I do pray for those in here that are struggling with their faith, going back and forth with the the wind and the waves because of society, because of culture and all that's going on. God, I pray that you give them a boldness and a courage to stand firm in the midst of a world that needs hope God and we need you God I pray for the person that walked in here and saying 
I don't even know if I really believe, but I didn't know Jesus loved me that much. God, I pray that right now that they would make the decision to say, I want Jesus and I'm going to walk by faith and I'm going to let him lead my life. I'm tired of living my life the way I've lead, I'm living it and leading it my own way. I need Jesus. God, my prayer is that wherever we are, we would stand firm led and directed by your word by you who never fails and we remember the words the truth of your scripture that you love and you gave to us and because of your goodness we believe and in that we'll live forever with you it's in the mighty name of Jesus that we all said together amen and amen Thanks again for tuning into our podcast today. I pray that it was a blessing and an encouragement to your soul. I look to see you at one of our services at 9 or 11 a.m. on Sunday morning. Take care. God bless you.